You know, Pastor Tom's talking about being endued with power. And it's not just saying, oh, in 19, you know, 72, I received the Holy Spirit. But I'm weak now. I don't have any power now, but I received it back then. You know, God has given us the ability, whenever we want to, to plug into the power source. But we got to plug in. Because once you receive the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Jude says we can build ourselves up. We can edify ourselves in the Holy Spirit, praying in the Spirit. So it's kind of like the battery in your car. It can hold all kinds of power, but some power needs to come into it somehow. It's got to be plugged in to a power source. And as that power flows into the battery, it edifies it. It builds it up again. We were listening to a preacher last night that really blessed me. He said, you know, a lot of people ask me, how can I hear better from God? How can I have more of God's power in my life? And he said, it's simple. Pray in tongues. He said, pray in tongues all day long. Pray in tongues in your bed. Pray in tongues when you're driving your car. Pray in tongues when you're in school. And he then he quoted one of Pastor Tom's favorite verses. He made his little four-year-old boy memorize this. I remember he'd go running around the house saying, 1 Corinthians 14, 18, I thank my God I speak in tongues more than you all. That's what Paul said. Can you say that? I thank God I speak in tongues. You know, just close your eyes and lift up your hands. If you can pray in the Spirit, let's just pray in the Spirit for a few minutes and let that power of God endue us, fill us, clothe us again. Okay? Here we go. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for a, a prayer language that we can pray to you in the Spirit and you will edify us with power. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that every yoke is broken by the Holy Spirit. There is an anointing that breaks every yoke. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Thank you for setting us free. Free from sin. Free from sickness. Free from every bondage and hindrance so that we can serve you without fear all the days of our lives. God, we prepare our hearts now. We open our ears to hear what the Spirit would say to the church. Bless your word to your people. Bless each and every one here and make them a blessing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. You can be seated. You know, what a privilege that God allows us to seek Him. Think about it. He could be a hidden God. He could just choose to stay off somewhere and not reveal himself to us. He created the universe. He created us. But we have no idea what he wants from us or what we're supposed to do. So he just leaves us alone and we sort of stumble through life. 
But that's not the picture we get in the scriptures. God is a God who likes to reveal himself to those who seek him. If you search for me with your whole heart, you will find me, he says. Well, what about those that don't search for him? I don't think they find too much. So these days that we've set apart to seek God, I've been greatly encouraged by a verse. This is not my sermon today, but I just want to encourage you. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. We all know that, right? That's not where it ends. And he that comes to God must do two things. Must believe that he is. You got to believe that God exists. Otherwise, you're wasting your time if you're praying to a God who doesn't exist. So our faith is God is. He's real. He exists. Therefore, I can look for him. I can seek him. But the second part of that scripture is equally important. Must believe that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. It's funny that the apostle includes that in there. Okay, let's let's believe that God is. No. And he rewards those who seek him. You know, a lot of people during these days, they're not fasting. And like Shireen said, sometimes they're right around you, you know, munching on their cheeseburger or something while you're at work and you're like, <sighs> but you know what? I believe we're going to get rewards that they're not getting. Just for the little sacrifice, just for the little bit of time, little bit of uh, suffering, if it's even suffering, it really isn't, of doing without a few things, putting a few things aside for 21 days to better seek the Lord. I have found it every time. It may not happen immediately, but every time I purpose to seek God, some reward comes from Him. I'm not talking necessarily about money or physical, tangible things. God told Abraham, and this was an answer to something I was talking about on Friday, what is that reward? And the Lord spoke to me last night. He told me the answer. He, he revealed to Abraham, Abraham, I am your exceeding great reward. I am your reward. So when you're seeking God, what's the reward? Him. What did Paul want? I want to win him. So we're not just seeking God to get a couple answers to prayer or a new job. He may do all of that, but our heart has to be in the right place. Lord, I want more of you. I want you present in my life in a more tangible, powerful way than you ever have been. I want to be closer to you. I want to hear you. I want to hear you. I want ears that are sensitive to hear the voice of God. Not just during this time, but long after we're through with this season of seeking God to be more sensitive. What is the Lord saying to me? What is the Lord saying to you? What is the Lord speaking to the church? And these are exciting times. These are uh, privileged times when we can still seek him and have that promise. We'll find him. We'll find him. You know, every time 
we do one of these long seasons of fasting and prayer, it, it's, it's almost like a broken record for me now, and it happened again this time. When we first start the fasting, I think, you know, this year I think I'm in pretty good shape spiritually. Because every year in the past, God has ripped me apart and shown me all kinds of garbage and sins and things I need to deal with and repentance here and repentance there. And so again, this year, you know, the first of January, I'm like, praise God. I think I'm in pretty good shape this year, Lord. I don't, I don't know. You know, there might be a few little things you need to tweak, but, uh, I'm, I'm good. Well, it didn't take long. Maybe around January 2nd, the Holy Spirit really started to go to work. And this season for me, God gave me two words. Tune and reset. <laughs> I want to tune you and I want to reset you. Again, I, I'm, that's not my message. I'm just sharing my heart with you a little bit before we get into something I want to teach on today. But we have a piano in my house. A lot of you have been there. You've seen it. And... We bought it for our daughter used when we were in Ohio and we moved it all the way back here to Maryland. I don't know, sometimes I think that was a mistake. We almost killed a couple people doing it. And we got it into the living room. And I'm like, Lord, if that thing ever has to leave this room, living room, I'm cutting it in half with a chainsaw because it was hard getting it into, into my little house. Anyway, it got way out of tune last year and I found somebody to come and tune it and he did a great job. And I remember when he finished last year, he said, you know, uh, I'll go ahead and set up a date to come back in about a year. And I said, okay, I forgot all about it. And suddenly, the end of December, I got a text from him saying, uh, you're on my calendar for January 5th. I'll see you there for your piano tuning. And I wrote back to him and I said, you know, the piano sounds great. It still seems like it's in perfect tune. I, I don't, I don't really know if, if you need to come just yet, he says, oh, well, that's what they all say. But I'll show you when I get there that your piano needs tuning. Now, remind you, the Holy Spirit's trying to speak something to me through all of this. So he comes, he pulls the you know, lid off the piano, and he's got this instrument that he uses that actually shows when it's exactly in tune, the little needle will be a little bit this way if it's flat and a little bit this way if it's sharp. And he he started playing different notes on the piano, and every one of them was out of tune. And I thought, hmm, sounded pretty good to me. Are you listening to me? Sounded pretty good to me, but to the expert, the whole thing's out of tune. And I'm like, okay, have at it. Tune her up. And he was there for three hours, you know, got every single string back on zero, where it's perfectly in tune. And after he left, I just sat down before the Lord, and God started to speak to me. He said, there are things in your life that have gotten out of tune, and you don't even realize it. And you need me to show you where you've gone flat here, and maybe you've gone sharp here. You've gone to this extreme or that extreme. Uh, you've wandered to the right here. You've wandered to the left there. I want to tune you. And that's what's been going on in my life ever since. <laughs> Every day, you know, there's 88 keys on the piano. I don't know. God's been doing like three or four 
keys a day, uh, just dealing with certain things. And it's like, okay, today we're going to work on this. Ning, ning, ning. Okay, now we got that one fixed. And it's been going on and on and on. And you know what? I love it. I want God to tune me. And here's why. You can be the best pianist in the world. If you sit down to a piano that's out of tune, I don't care how well you play, it's going to sound like garbage and noise. And God spoke to me clearly. He said, Wayne, I want to play on your life. I, I want to play on your life. Margaret, I want to play on your life. But if the strings have gotten out of tune, it's not going to sound good. And I want a sweet sound coming from your life. So let me tune you up. So let the tuning continue. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Let God search your heart and your life. And don't be too quick to say, oh, that doesn't apply to me. I don't need any help in that area. Maybe you're just a little bit off zero. A lot of the strings were just enough that you wouldn't be able to detect it with the ear unless you're really trained and unless you have that instrument that can show it's out. And if it had gone another year, it would have been more and more out. And finally, it doesn't sound good, even when the best piano player is on there. The second thing that God's spoken to me about this season of fasting is it's a time of reset. You know, most of us work with computers and smartphones and everything, and I have found it over and over and over, and even the experts will usually suggest this as the first thing to do when you're having any kind of a computer problem. Turn it off and restart it. How many of you have had that fix things on a smartphone or a computer? Just turn it off and reboot it. And it's amazing. I don't understand all the uh, technology behind it, but apparently a lot of things get sort of clogged and stuck in memory somewhere in the computer. And just shutting it down and restarting it, it clears all that space out. And the thing can work fine again. And it's amazing what a miracle that often works on a computer that won't do what it's supposed to do anymore. And I've been praying, Lord, I want to reboot. I want to reset in my life. And whatever stuff is clogging the memory, thoughts or attitudes or feelings, anything that's clogging the space that you want to inhabit, clear it out. Shut it down, reset it, and reboot it. So I'm ready to go when you want to use me. Bible talks about being vessels fit for the master's use. My Bible says prepared for his use. God wants to use us. Raise your hand if you think God wants to use you. Raise your other one if you want him to use you. I mean, come on. Why else are we here? Seriously. You have to ask questions like this. Why am I here? Is it just to work, make money, buy a house, buy a car, get old and die? I'm sorry for being morbid, but that's basically all it is. If all you're living for is this. We're here for a purpose. And I don't know how much time I have left, but I want God to do something with me. I want God to use me. I want to be able to depart this world looking down and saying, Lord, I did what you told me to do. 
I was in a position where you could use me the way you wanted to use me. And so may God prepare us, tune us up, get us fit for the great things that he has planned for us to do. The Bible says he's already got them planned out. He's got works planned for us to do beforehand. Lucky, did you know God has your life planned out? He already has works for you to do. You don't even have any idea what they are. How are you going to find out what they are? You better seek him, right? Lord, what are those works? What do you want me to do? What is your will? What is your plan for my life? He says, I know the plans I have for you. I know the thoughts that I have for you. Thoughts of blessing. I want to bless you. I want to prosper you. I don't want to harm you. I've got good things for you to do. But we got to seek him. Amen? Amen. All right. Title of my message, finally, that was all just good morning, is... First things first. First things first. The first of January, I, by the way, I'm not real big on this New Year thing. I find a lot more in Scripture about the importance of each day as opposed to a year. So, Happy New Year. I mean, I'm, I'm okay with all that. But a lot of people think, well, once a year I can make some resolutions and once a year I can make a change in my life. Where what I find all over the Bible is every day is new. His mercies are new every morning. We're renewed day by day, Paul says. And so thank God we don't have to wait until next January for a reset or for something new in our life. Every day we can be renewed in the power of God. And every day we need, I think, to reaffirm some of these things that I'm going to talk about. And actually on the 1st of January, uh, when I got up, the Lord just had me to start making this list. And I want to go through, hopefully, it'll be about five, not too many, but five important firsts, priorities, that we as followers of Christ need to maintain, and maybe we need to tweak them and tune them a little bit because they may have gotten a little bit out of tune. I'll just give you an outline, and then we're going to go back and see how far we get through this. First things first. The first thing is God. (laughs) And we're going to have a lot to say about that one. The second first is the gospel. Okay? Knowing the gospel, preaching the gospel, the gospel of first importance. Third thing we're going to look at is repentance. Our first response to God's grace, God's goodness, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our first response, it's the first foundation of our Christian life, is repentance. Fourth thing we want to look at is our discipleship, our following of Jesus. That's got to come first before everything else. And then fifthly and finally, we're going to look at the importance of relationships with others. There are some firsts 
there that we'll look at when we get there. All right, let's go back to the beginning. I think it goes without saying, and yet we need to be reminded frequently and regularly, the first thing in my life is God. Well, we can close in prayer now and I can go home because that sums the whole thing up. God is the beginning. He needs to be the beginning before anything else in my life. And by no coincidence, God wasted no time when this book was put together. And all you have to read is the first verse of the first book of the Bible to get it right. In the beginning, God. I like to stop right there for a minute. In the beginning, God. He created the heavens and the earth, but what was the beginning? God. In the beginning, God. What's the first commandment? You should have no other gods before me. No other gods before me, ahead of me, in place of me. I need to be first. Simple. And yet it isn't so simple, is it? Because we often get these things mixed up. And other things begin to crowd in and take that place that God rightfully should occupy. And other things become our priority. I'm amazed, at, as I began to study this, I'm amazed at how much Scripture has to talk about firsts. When I did a search, I found over 400 times in the Bible the word first appears. must be pretty important. And it must be important for me to understand what is supposed to be first in my life. What are the first things? You know, in the New Testament, I think we talked about this a while back, a man came to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment? You remember, right? The first and greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love the Lord your God. How can we love Him that way? John says in his epistle, because He first loved us. We're not, we're not doing anything special or unusual when we're loving God. We're just responding to what already He's done. And you know what? We're loving a perfect, infinite, eternal, unfailing God He's loving, imperfect, nasty, rebellious, stubborn, sinful people that are desperately in need of His help. He first loved us. So if He took the initiative in loving me while I was still a sinner, Paul says, it shouldn't be that hard for me to return the favor and to start learning how to love the Lord with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength. And I'm not going to read all these verses. You know a lot of these. Uh, the first thing that Jesus pointed out 
in his first of the seven messages to churches, when he addresses the Ephesians, was they have a lot of good stuff going for them, but you've got one thing wrong. One thing I need to fix. You've left your first love. I've heard a lot of explanations on what that is. It's the way we loved him at first, when we first got saved. That's pretty good. It's loving him first, before everything else. I think that's good too. I think it's all of the above. Jesus wants to be our first love. Our first love. He wants to be first in our life. And by the way, that is his name. In Revelation 1, he identifies himself. I am Alpha and Omega. That's A and Z in the Greek alphabet. And I am first and last. I am first and last. And I think he wants to be first in your heart. First in my life. First, first, first. Colossians 1, I want to read these verses because I love them so much. Talks about Jesus. Colossians 1 from verse 15 to 18. I'm using the New King James Version here today. He, that's Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Let me pick out a couple of words there for you. Firstborn, before all things, head, beginning, firstborn, preeminence. Are you getting the picture? What place does he deserve? First place. Give him preeminence. You know, in the Old Testament, there are many, many scriptures that speak about these two words. One of them we just read, firstborn, and the other is related, first fruits. Notice the word they both begin with? First. God's interested in first things. And they had laws in Israel concerning the firstborn, both of the people and even of their livestock, and they had laws governing the first fruits of the crops they had planted. You have to ask yourself, why is God so interested in the livestock and the, and the fruits and vegetables? What's, what's all this first stuff? He was teaching them and showing you and me in a type and shadow the way things work in God's kingdom. The first of everything always belongs to God. The firstborn belong to God. Now, in Israel, they didn't literally sacrifice their firstborn child, but there was a ceremony where they presented that firstborn to God, commemorating and identifying with the fact that the first of everything that I produce belongs to God. 
And perhaps you've studied the law of the first fruits. It's a very elaborate ceremony that spanned many, many days from the time they sowed their seed in the field to when the very first sheaf of ripened grain came up. That first sheaf they had to cut and take it to the priest. (laughs) Just one sheaf. And then later they would take a first fruits more offering to the Lord. And you read through that and it's like, this is strange. But then again, it really isn't. If you understand what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us today, the first belongs to God. And I'll tell you what that means to me, and this is where there's some real tweaking and piano tuning going on in these days. The best, the first of anything that I am, anything that I gain, anything that I produce, it's yours, Lord. It's yours. It's not mine. And a lot of people apply this just to money or physical material things, and they should, because that's part of it. Because listen to the scripture, Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, I don't want to get too far off today, but let me just put a little exclamation point next to this. Learn how to be hilarious givers. God will outgive you. I have challenged him and tested him on this. Uh, Malachi 3 says, test me, prove me on this. See if this doesn't happen. Every time we've tested him, not in my timing, but in his timing, he's always come back and said, there you go. So much plenty, your vats are now overflowing. And a lot of people, sadly, um, they're just stuck in this Old Testament mentality of tithing. I don't want to go too far into the bushes today, but I don't believe in tithing. I believe tithing was for hard-hearted Old Testament people. We're to go way beyond that. The Old Testament was you can't kill anybody. Jesus said, but now I say to you, don't even get angry at your brother. The Old Testament says, take 10%, get your calculator out, and make sure you're giving you know, to the nearest dime 10% of the Lord. I think Jesus would say, but now, give Give. How much should I give, Lord? Maybe all. You remember the widow? What did she put in? Two little mites, two little pennies. I don't know what they were. Two little coins. And Jesus was there watching. You know, Jesus watches when we put our offerings in the plate. He watches how we respond to needs and to situations. And he picked that woman out of the whole crowd in the synagogue. Why? Because something was different about her gift. She gave all to the Lord. 
So the, the concept of firstborn, first fruits all ties into this one truth. God is first in my life. If, if my field is producing any crops, man, it's God who did it. So he deserves the first and the best in return. Now, coming back to the firstborn, we just read that concerning Jesus, the invisible God, the firstborn. In the Old Testament, God didn't require Israelites to literally sacrifice their firstborn. He almost did with one man. Who was that? Abraham. Had the knife in the air. Abraham, take your son... The son you love. And he was ready with that knife. And just as he was about to lower it into Isaac's throat, the voice comes from heaven. Stop! Now I know. I know you now. (laughs) You just passed the test, Abraham. Put the knife away. You're not going to kill your son. But you know what the difference is? Abraham and Isaac is a beautiful picture of God the Father and his son. You know what the difference is? God did sacrifice his firstborn. He sacrificed him. The sinless for sinners. The perfect for the imperfect. He sacrificed his one and only, his firstborn son. And now in the New Testament, he's frequently referred to with these two words. We'll see the other one in a minute. He's the firstborn and he's the firstfruits. Jesus is the firstborn. Jesus is the first fruits of them that slept. He's the firstborn from the dead. First one to rise from the dead. And we don't have time today, but you can study some of the prophets like Malachi and Haggai. They were addressing a real problem that had crept up in Israel. And it was basically they'd gotten their priorities all mixed up. They were all worried about building their own houses, doing their own thing, taking care of themselves. And the prophet had to stand up and say, you're building nice paneled houses for yourselves and the house of God lies waste. Where are your priorities? And Malachi, he says, you save the best livestock for your next barbecue. And you look for the sick ones, the blind ones, the lame ones, and you bring them to God. You know what God says? Keep it. I don't want your blind stuff. I don't want your lame stuff. I don't want, you know, this little uh, meaningless offering. I want something like that widow gave. That's the kind of offering God is looking for. And I know we've all done it. I have. And I know God has not been pleased when I bring him that lame offering, that lame sacrifice. Well, let me, what can I scrape up here that I really don't even want anyway, and I'll give it to God. And over the years, we've seen, you know, maybe they were well-intentioned, I don't know, but people would come to the pastors or the ministers with these offerings of all the junk from their house that they didn't want anymore and they wanted to get rid of it. Here, Pastor. Oh, thank you. (laughs) 
They had their priorities all messed up. God wants to be first. He is first, and he will not take the place of a second or a third or a fourth. You shall have no other gods before me. Okay? That's priority one. May God help us, not just today or in this new year, but may he help us daily to reset that priority. God, you're first today. This is your day. I'm yours. I'm your first fruits offering today. Take my life. Take my talents. Take my gifts. Take my time. Whatever you want to do with me, with my money, with my resources, it's yours, Lord. I like that song, yes. Just say yes to the Lord. Just say yes. Say it all day long. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Whatever you're saying, whatever you want, yes, Lord. Yes, 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 yes. Second priority is the gospel. The good news of Jesus, the gospel of Christ. Let me read to you familiar verses in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4. Paul says, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. You know, we hear a lot of different voices in the world today saying there are lots of ways to be saved. There are many, many roads that lead to heaven. As long as you're religious, it doesn't matter what religion it is, it'll, it'll get you to heaven. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful to anybody that's from a different religion, but, you know, it goes something like this. Well, even if you're a Buddhist or a Hindu or a Muslim or a Baha'i faith or whatever religion you're in, as long as you're, you know, a, a pretty good person, you're going to make it. Now, is that the good news? A lot of people think the good news is bad news, but it really is good news. Jesus said, there's one way. There's one way. He wasn't saying that to make it hard. He was saying that to make it easy. If you're out in the middle of a jungle and you want to get out of there, do you want ten different ways out? I want one way. Tell me the way out of here. Jesus said, this is the way out of sin, out of darkness, and out of death. I am the way. There's no other way to the Father but through me. No other way. So, it's by the gospel, Paul says, that you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, did you hear that? First of all, everybody with me? We got it, 1 Corinthians 15? Next verse. Next verse. I delivered unto you, first of all. In the NIV Bible it says, of first importance. This is first on Paul's chart. In, in his list of sermons and things to preach on, he had lots of things to talk about, but this was his favorite. 
This was the most important. And he always made certain that he came back to this point. What is of first importance? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's first importance. And I have found that many Christians, after a period of time, they start to lose sight of that. They get sidetracked into all kinds of different things. They, they may be good things, but Paul is saying, uh-oh, this is first importance. Don't ever wander away from this truth. Christ died, Christ was buried, and Christ rose from the dead. Don't get too far away from the message of the cross and the empty tomb, because that is our salvation. Mark 13, Jesus said, the gospel must first be preached to all the nations, and then the end will come. What must first happen? We keep the gospel to ourselves, right? We just stay home and read it and listen to tapes and we're very happy because now we're saved. No. Gospel doesn't say at home. Of first importance is to now take the gospel to the streets. Take the gospel to the nations. And, you know, I read this scripture Friday night in our prayer meeting and later that night, God started to speak to me and show me something a little different that I haven't really emphasized before. And I want to go there again in 1 Timothy 2. You might be wondering, why is this here under the gospel? Because it seems like it's a call to prayer, which it is. But I want you to notice in the context what Paul's real message to us is. 1 Timothy 2 is regularly used to encourage Christians to pray for government leaders. That's great. That's fine. That's a part of it. I don't think that's the main point that Paul's making, though. Let me just read the first six verses without pausing and see if you get the real intent of what Paul is writing here. Therefore, I exhort, there it is again, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. I never noticed it before, but... In those, what do we read? Six verses? 
In those six verses, the word all appears six times. All, 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 first of all, made for all, kings in all, life in all, godliness, who desires all men to be saved. Jesus gave himself a ransom for all. Now let's go back to verse 1 for a minute. Obviously, I could have made this a whole separate category and made prayer a priority. I think we all understand that is. But I chose to keep it here with the gospel for a reason. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, and then he mentions these different kinds of prayers. We won't go into that. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. For presidents? For kings? For people in authority? What does he say we should be doing first of all? Pray for all men. All men. Why should we be praying for all men? Because God wants all men to be saved and Jesus gave himself a ransom for all men. That ties the whole thing together into one nice little package. Pray for all. God wants all. Jesus gave himself for all. And then he adds in there this little section next that we often only quote about kings and all who are in authority. Don't stop praying for the president. Don't stop praying for the Supreme Court justices. Pray for the policemen. Pray for the people in authority. Sure, but I believe that's secondary to the real priority that Paul is urging us in prayer here. This really encouraged me. I knew these verses, and yet sometimes you know something, but you don't. I got really encouraged to start praying for a whole bunch of unsaved people. (laughs) Because God says he wants them saved. And the next time I see them, I'm going to tell them that. God wants you to be saved, young man. Huh? Yeah, he told me that. He did? Yes, he did. He told me he wants you saved. And then walk away. And they're going to stand there. Ooh, I think he is. God wants me saved? And then let God start dealing with them. Yeah, I want you saved. I want to change your life. I want you to repent. I've got something in store for you. And this, for me, goes hand in hand with what we just read in 1 Corinthians 15. Of first importance... The gospel. That's the only way people can be saved. Now, of first importance, pray, pray, pray for all men because God wants them saved and that's why Jesus gave himself a ransom for all. Who will believe with me that during this 21 days of fasting, some unsaved people that we pray for are going to come to salvation? I mean, really get saved, baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, and added to God's church. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. Not because I feel something or I have some emotion. It's because God says it in His Word. And now we have to do our part, offer the prayers, supplications, intercessions, and then just give Him thanks.
give him thanks because it's already done. I've heard preachers say this before, and, and I like the idea. As Christians, we need to strive. You got to give it an effort. Strive to keep the gospel the main thing. Y'all, y'all see what I'm saying? We can go off, and I, look, I'm a teacher. I love to study, you know, the gates and what pearls are. I can get way, way off on things. I, I spent a whole day the other day just going crazy with this scripture in the book of Judges about the 700 men in Israel who could sling a stone with a slingshot and they wouldn't miss a hair. I mean, you can get way off on some of this stuff. And I, I get that. I, I love that, but I need to come back the main thing. Jesus died for my sins. Jesus was buried and on the third day according to the scriptures he rose from the dead. He's the first to rise from the dead and that's why I'm alive today because the Jesus we believe in is a resurrected Jesus. Christianity is a resurrection religion. I don't know of another one. They got some pretty wacky gods doing some weird things, but there's no other religion like this one. The head of it, Jesus, died and he came back to life. He's risen from the dead. That is the central message. And as I mentioned, 1 Corinthians 15 says Jesus was the first fruits of them that slept. Interesting. First fruits. We just read in Colossians, he's the firstborn from the dead. And in Acts 26, he was the first to rise from the dead. And when did he rise from the dead? On the? On the? No. On the first day of the week. You got it? The first day of the week. That's why from that point on, in scriptures, it's very clear that the disciples and the early churches, they adopted Sunday, the first day of the week, to come together and to worship God. Now, I'm not going to throw stones at people if they want to meet on Saturday. But Sunday is not the Sabbath. It's the first day of the week in celebration of Jesus who rose on the first day. So each Sunday... When we come to church, we should come remembering, why am I here on the first day of the week? Oh yeah, the firstborn rose from the dead on this day many, many years ago. He's risen. He's risen. He's risen. Okay, got to move on. Third priority. You all have been studying in your Bible study the foundations, correct? All of you are teachers now, right? All can teach repentance, faith, baptisms. Yes? Yes! Okay, well in Hebrews 5, they're called first principles. First principles. What's the first of the first principles? Come on. Repentance. Repentance.
So praise God, in 1974, I repented. I don't need to do it anymore, right? I'm done. <laughs> well, I don't know what year you first learned the alphabet. Once you learned the alphabet, did you stop using it? No, it's the foundation of language. You use it all the time. These are fundamental first principles that remain a part of our whole Christian life and experience. We don't stop repenting. It becomes a, a foundation in our life. And yes, it was the very first thing Jesus spoke. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Repent, repent, repent. Thank God, you know, for all those sinners out there that need to repent, right? Thank God I don't need it anymore because I'm, I'm good. Uh-oh. Here's where the piano tuner comes in. Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5. I think I would have made a good judge. I think. Because I can be really critical. And man, I'm an expert at finding flaws, defects, and faults in everybody but one. There's one that I'm not very good at judging. And that's what Jesus talks about here. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, uh-oh, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Pause. So with the same discernment and strictness and we're going to follow the law here. The same measure you use on everybody else. You just picked your measure. Because that how, that's how it works in the kingdom. Judgment you judge, you will be judged. Measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck, just a little thing, in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. Verse 5. What's the next word? First. First. You hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You see, there's a priority there. Jesus wants us to be able to help other people with their problems. He wants to use us to help them get these specks out of their eyes, because they're irritating them, they're hurting them, and they're 
interfering with their vision. He wants to use you to help other people. But first things first. And there's a small problem. Your brother only has a little speck. I don't know. I just picture one of these two by tens. One of these big boards they would use like for framing or flooring in a house. You got a plank in your eye. What's the implication? You can't even see. You blind hypocrite. You've got some work to do at home first before you can do anything for anybody else. Now, I'm not really big on New Year's resolutions, but I made one and I'm having my wife pray for me and keep me accountable on this. Stop criticizing other people. Period. Stop. Just stop. Why are we often doing it? Makes me feel a little bit better, even though I know I got a plan. Jesus says, why don't you get to work on what's really needed here and deal with your own business first? First, remove the plank from your eye. And then you will see clearly. Remember the woman caught in adultery? Oh, man. All the religious guys, they were right there. We caught her. We got her. Now, Jesus, you know what the law says. What are you going to do? Nobody knows what he was writing. I personally believe he was writing the names of some of the head Pharisees there and listing their sins. And then he stands up again. He that is without sin, let him first throw the stone. One leaves. The elder of all the Pharisees. Then the second elder. Third elder. All of them threw their stones in the dirt. And finally, it's just Jesus and the woman. He says, woman, where are your accusers? Go. So then, a lot of people would like the story to end like this. Okay, you can go back to your adultery now. Because God is love, and I just forgive everybody, and I understand, you know, we have these weaknesses, so go back to your life of sin. Is that what he said? No. Stop! Leave your life of sin. That's the gospel. Yes, there's mercy. Yes, there's forgiveness. But you got to change now. Stop sinning. I like this next one. I like the Pharisees because I, I can relate to them. Anybody else here that can relate to the Pharisees a little bit? Don't raise your hands. I don't want to embarrass you. Matthew 23 from verse 25. Jesus, he spoke to these religious people in a way he never spoke to the adulterers, the adulteresses, 
the thieves, the tax collectors, or any of the other sinners. The harshest, strongest language in the New Testament is when Jesus is talking to these religious people. That should be a little red flag for all of us. Because in religion, if we're not careful, it can actually be the breeding ground, the environment where more little Pharisees can be created. Critical, legalistic, harsh, judgmental, looking at everybody else. Why aren't they doing this? What's wrong with them? Listen to what Jesus says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee. First, you see that? First, cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like white whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. You know what needs to be first? Deal with the inside. That's, that's the priority of the new covenant. The priority of the new covenant is don't worry about the externals first. Deal with the internal. God wants to get right into the heart and start dealing with motives, intents. You know, Two people can do the exact same thing for two totally different reasons. Their motivation can be very different. I can stand up here and sing a a beautiful solo, and my heart is just pouring out praise and love to God, and God is smiling down and saying, oh, I love it when he sings. I can also stand up here all proud and arrogant, and I'm going to show these people what a singer I am. And God is like, can't stand it. So the motivation, that's where we have to start. That's first priority. And you know, that's why a season like fasting and prayer is so important. We've got to get quiet. We've got to get alone with God and allow Him to start shining His light on some of those areas. And you know, you may be doing something really religiously great. And God will come along and show you the motive. You mean I just gave that offering so people would see me and think, wow, he's really a generous man. You know what Jesus said? You've already got your full reward. I've been meditating on that a lot. Those three things my wife mentioned Prayer, fasting, and giving. Jesus said, do all of them in secret so your Father can reward you. But if you do them in public to be honored by men, no one thing. You've already got your full reward. It's all done. You got all that applause and everything? Great, enjoy it, because that's it. (laughs) No more reward. That's scary. What a waste. What a waste. 
We need to start dealing with inner things. What is it that's moving us? What's our motivation? Is it love for God? Or is it just self-promotion? All right, we've got to move on. Fourth priority. I'm calling this discipleship or following Jesus. It seems to overlap what we've already talked about in all of these will. God is first. The gospel is first. Jesus is first. But I want to point you to a couple of scriptures that have meant a lot to me. And they deal specifically with our following Christ. And to follow Christ, he must be first. He must come before and be above anything else. I'm going to read two passages. Just follow along with me. First is in Luke 9. They're both in Luke. Luke chapter 9. You'll remember them when I read them. Starting with verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to Jesus, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, first of all, they had often heard him speak about that. That was his message everywhere he went. Come and follow me. Come and follow me. Come and follow me. So here they're saying the right thing. Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Wow, that sounds good. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. Okay, I'll follow you. But you know, I've got a few things to fit in between. Let me first go. Did you hear that? Let me first go and bury my father. Well, that sounds reasonable. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. That's extreme. Another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Again, this sounds reasonable, right? But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Let me tell you something. The demands of the kingdom are extreme. They're total. They're absolute. He's not going to settle for anything less than all. All. That's why it's important when we sing these songs to really do it. I give you my all. I'm saying yes to you, Lord. And the next scripture cautions us not just to say that as words. Luke 14, you you find these two groups all through the Gospels. The multitudes and the disciples. Multitudes and disciples. The multitudes were getting fed. They were getting healed. They were all hearing these marvelous messages that Jesus was teaching. They were all being blessed. Multitudes were. But I want you to notice, try to get this picture in your mind, there's a difference between being in the multitude and being a disciple. 
Because the verse begins, Luke 14, 25, Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciples. Uh Uh-oh. You mean there's something different between being over here in the multitude and being one of these? Yeah, very different. Uh Uh-oh. Nobody told me about this. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Oops. Why didn't you tell me this first, Lord? I am. And now he comes to the punchline. Verse 28. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost? Sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. Lest, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able, with 10,000, to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else... While the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. What is Jesus saying here? I think he sums it all up in the next verse. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, I don't think Jesus is telling you to go out today and sell your house and give your car away. He might. He told us to do that. We did that. We left everything. Now when I think about it, 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 it's mind-boggling. But we had a faith in God that we literally left everything and threw ourselves into the arms of Jesus. And you know what the devil always says? You're going to die. You can't live like that. You're going to die, man. Guess what? Do we look dead? We're still alive. Forty plus years later, God is faithful. What is He looking for? He's looking for a heart that puts Him first. And the next scripture is the one that was really the first verse in the Bible. I can truthfully say, God spoke to me. And it has stayed in there ever since. Seek. Second. Seek when it's convenient. No. Seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added to you. All the stuff you thought you needed, it's going to follow after you if you're following after me. And in Matthew 6, you don't need to read the verses, Jesus mentions what the Gentiles, what the heathen are running after. What do they eat? What do they drink? What do they wear? After all these things, the Gentiles seek. But your heavenly Father knows you have need of all these things. Seek 
First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. May God help me and may God help us in these days. Reset that priority. God, your kingdom first. You know what the kingdom of God is? There are lots of ways of defining it and understanding it. Jesus gave many parables telling what the kingdom's like. But the kingdom is that domain where God rules. God is in charge in his kingdom. Now let me ask you a question. How much sin is there in the domain that God reigns over? Zero. How much sickness is in the domain where God reigns? Zero. You see where I'm going with this? Now we know why earlier in Matthew 6, Jesus taught the disciples how to pray. My Father, our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know what the life of the Christian is really all about? A lot of times we think it's me in my earthly mind coming up with clever ideas and clever strategies and then I'm going to lift them up to God and get him to approve them. I don't know, that may work for you, it doesn't work for me. What works for me is praying, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done, and heaven comes down to earth. That's what I want. Heaven comes down here. That's what we need in our day. We need an invasion of this culture from heaven. The kingdom of God. So, when somebody sick comes to you, what do you have to offer them? The kingdom. The kingdom. In the kingdom, there's no, there's no sickness. And I'm a representative of the king. So in Jesus' name, be healed. The kingdom has come. In the kingdom, sickness has to disappear. In the kingdom, come on. Somebody help me here. How many demons are there going to be in heaven? Are there going to be any demons running around in God's eternal kingdom? You better forget it. Demons are gone. So, what did Jesus say? If I, by the Spirit of God, cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come to you. we got to start praying, Lord, wherever I go, I want to take the kingdom with me. I pray that when I go to school a day. Lord, I want your kingdom to manifest in this chemistry class. I don't want to just teach chemical formulas and elements. I want the kingdom to impact these young people. Thy kingdom come. Okay, here we go. Priority five. What are the others? God first. The gospel. Repentance first. Discipleship following Jesus. And now, I'm going to give this one a big title because it covers a whole lot of stuff. Relationships, forgiveness, reconciliation, and serving others. It it sounds like a whole lot of stuff, but it's really all very closely related. It's what we're doing horizontally. You understand what I mean? 
Vertically is our relationship with God. Horizontally is our relationship with other people. Very important. So important that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus also gives this one as a first. Several firsts in the Sermon on the Mount. We've already read two of them. Here's another one. Matthew 5, 23-24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, in other words, you're coming to worship God. Right? You're coming to give something to the Lord. If you bring your gift to the altar, and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift and go your way. What's it say? First. What? First. What? First. First be reconciled. And then come and offer your gift. There's a priority here. Let me put it in my terms. It means nothing to God for me to come to church, shout and holler and make a bunch of noise, and I got something in my heart that I need to fix with somebody. You might as well leave church. Get it right. Because your 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 whole relationship with God has been interrupted until that's put right. First, be reconciled to your brother. Our relationships with one another, our relationships with all of the members in the body of Christ are very, very important. And I think we need to sit before the Lord and allow the Lord to search our hearts and maybe show us a few Areas where we need to put some things right. Maybe you need to make a phone call, send an email, go visit somebody. I don't know what it is, but the Holy Spirit will bring it to your attention. Put it right. Put it right. And you know, it often goes something like this. Yeah, but Lord, I didn't do anything wrong. You know what I'm talking about? I I don't need to call Joe and ask him to forgive me for anything because I didn't do anything wrong. He did it wrong to me. Well, we're not going to go there, but Mark 11 deals with the other side of the equation. Here, it's if your brother has something against you, Mark 11 is if you have something against your brother. So you know what? Put it all together. It's either or. If you got a problem or he's got a problem, you better fix it. But I didn't do anything wrong, Lord. Good. Do it anyway. You'll be blessed. The disciples were always wondering, which one of us is going to be first? (laughs) Remember that? Here, Here Jesus came to lay down his life, wash feet, serve others, give his life a ransom on the cross, and these guys, they just don't get it. Right to the end, they're fighting and arguing. Which one's going to be number one around here? Is it Peter? Or is it John? And finally, James and John's mother goes to Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus. Right and left. One for John, 
in one of the kingdoms. How about you in two good spots in the kingdom? This is in the Bible. It's in the Bible. It's hilarious. Jesus said, sorry, that's not even mine to give. I heard a preacher the other day. Who's this guy? Um, Robert Morris, that you were listening to. <laughs> he has a really nice take on this one I never heard before. He said, hold on. Matthew 25, the sheep are on the right going into everlasting life and the goats are on the left going into everlasting fire. He says, this woman doesn't even know what she's asking for. She's asking for her sons, one to go to heaven and one to go to hell. You better think about what you're asking first. I don't know if that's doctrinally correct or not, but the point is this. They had it all wrong. Jesus said, you want to be first? How do you become first in the kingdom? Become last. How do you become the top dog? You serve everybody. It's, it's all opposite what the human mind says. I learned a neat little acronym years ago. I used to have a sticker or a poster or something somewhere. I don't know what happened to it. Joy. You know what joy stands for? Jesus first, others second, yourself last. That's the priority. Jesus first, others second, yourself last. That's right. Last. That's where real joy comes from. In 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote to them and said, some of them had first given themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. They gave themselves to us because they had first given themselves to God. So many verses on this about preferring others above yourself, honoring people above yourself, serving them, uh, putting their needs ahead of your own. There's a lot in the scripture on that, but let me tie all this together. First things first. Make sure God is first in your life. Make sure the first and most important priority of your life every single day is to seek Him, love Him, and put Him first. That'll fix a lot of things in our lives if we get just that much right. And then remember of first importance. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in here, but of first importance, this is simple, everybody can remember it, Christ died for my sins, He was buried, and He rose again the third day. He's risen. He's risen. He's the firstborn. And now, that good news has saved me, and that's the only way anyone else around me can be saved. So I start praying for unsaved people to be saved because God wants them to be saved and He's given me the message that they need to hear. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And hopefully they also want what you have received and you can share with them the very first step. It's repentance. Repent and then believe. Believing is the fourth priority, which is following Jesus. 
I repent. I turn away from my old life, my own ways, my old things, and now I'm following after Jesus, putting him first in my life. And inevitably, along the way, we've got some things, and this also falls under repentance. We've got some things we need to fix with other people. Forgiveness that we need to ask. Uh, reconciliation that we need to make sure takes place. Uh, you know, I know it's late, but can I have three more minutes? I even found myself a while back saying something like this. Well, God, I forgave him, but I really don't want him as a friend anymore. And I don't trust him, and I don't want to be too close to him anymore, but I've forgiven him. One morning, the Lord started speaking to me. He says, son, how would you like it if that's the way I forgave you? I forgive him. I can't stand him. I'll never be his friend again, and I can't trust him. Is that the way God treats us? No, that's not real reconciliation. Reconciliation means you're friends again. You're friends again. And Jesus said, first be reconciled. Now, sometimes there are people that don't want that. But that's why the Bible says, as much as it lies in you, seek peace with all men. If they still want to be angry and huffing and puffing, fine. You did your part. That's fine. Let's all stand. You know, there was a song that was being played a lot on Christian radio. You might have heard it. It's called First. And the chorus is just first. I want to seek you. I want to seek you. I want you to be first in my life. Is that our desire? I hope it is. I know it's mine. I, I want God first in my life. I, along the way, I've gotten some priorities mixed up, some things that got squeezed in. and and But I'm really asking the Lord during this season, let's get this thing right again. Let's get first things first. Father God, I thank you for your word. Your word is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Your word is like a lamp. It can search out. Dark spaces, dark crevices in our thoughts, our minds, our motives, our intents. And God, your purpose is not to shame us or condemn us, but it's to free us. And Lord, I believe that during this time of fasting and prayer, you're searching us so that you can cleanse us. You can free us from things that have been hindering us and weighing us down in our race to run after you. God, help us in these remaining days, to seek you diligently, to seek you with our whole heart, knowing that you've promised we will find you. And the reward we want is not just a few answers to prayer or to feel a little bit better about ourselves. We want you. We want your presence to be manifested in our lives, in our homes, in this church in a way that has never been manifested before, that the glory of God would break out in the midst of your people. And Lord, unsaved people would be drawn to that light, to that glory. Unsaved people would be drawn to us saying, what have you got in your life 
What is it about you? I want whatever it is that you have. And that we're going to see significant advances of the kingdom in these coming days. God, I thank you and I praise you for this church. Thank you, each and everyone here, for the purposes and the plans that you have for them. Bless them now. Make them a blessing. Let your peace, your shalom, your wholeness and health rest upon